Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Our podcast is sponsored by, excuse me, Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. We are really excited that um, this podcast continues to gain recognition as a great resource for small business owners, entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, and salespeople. From uh, People First to MSNBC's Your Business to Inc.com, Fit Small Business, Proven, a whole bunch of other sites, Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is enjoying inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to. So we're, we're pretty uh, excited about that. And um, we know it's because of the wonderful guests that come on the podcast and share their information. Today, we have one of those guests. With me today is Lee Carraher. Lee is the CEO of Double Forte PR and Digital Marketing. An acclaimed communication strategist, she's known for her practical solutions to big problems. Her company works with some of the top consumer and technology brands in the country. Lee's the author of Millennials and Management based on her experience with failing and then succeeding at retaining millennials. Her second book, The Boomerang Principle, was published in April 2017. Lee has a reputation for building cohesive, high-producing teams who have fun together at the same time. She's a straight talker who doesn't hold too many punches, although she does her best to be pleasant about them. Her big laugh and sense of humor have gotten her out of a lot of trouble. Lee is active in the community and currently serves on three nonprofit boards. A graduate of Carleton College with a degree in medieval history, which she finds useful every day, Lee lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her husband, two sons, and a blind cat. Thanks for joining me today, Lee. Diane, thank you so much for having me, and congratulations on all the success for your podcast. It's such a huge achievement. Ah, oh, thank you. I, it, it is so exciting. I wasn't expecting any of it, and, and it's just really, and, and I really mean what I say, that it really is, because um, the folks like you who come on and share this information that makes it some, you know, a good resource, right? It's, it's yeah. a place that people can really come and, and get the things that they need. So it, it's been fun. It, it's a labor of love. So. Good. It is labor though, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes a little worse than others. But, um, you know, like when technology doesn't quite work. Exactly. Otherwise, right, right. But I've been blessed. I mean, the, the, usually it goes well and the guests are... I, I get to learn at the same time, so it's really wonderful. 
It's all good. Yes, yes, yes. So I love this this subject of these millennials. And I have to tell you that in your bio, like I love this about medieval history because when <laughs> I first read it, I went, medieval huh? history? <laughs> I thought, <laughs> okay, I get it. There's something going on here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so explain to the listeners why you think it's important that different generations you know, are, are working together, that they have to be able to work together to run a business mm -hmm. today? Well, I think the first thing is what is true today is that this is the first time in American history where we have four different generations working side by side uh, from millennials all the way up to the silent generation who is over 68. Um, and, and we have the Gen Z coming right behind the millennials. So it might even be five generations in the next five wow. years. And a few things are true. One, you know, generations are sort of funny, right? Someone says, this is a generation, and they call it something. And, <laughs> right? um, <laughs> and the U.S. Census does stuff. And I usually use Pew Research. I think Pew Research is probably the most, well, they're obviously very credible, but it's the most um, agnostic of all the research firms and um, with analysis that, uh, you know, everyone can use. Um, and the, the point of understanding generations is that while it is true, you know, the, the point of a generation calling it something is, is very uh, convenient, right? Um, yeah. Millennials, 80 million. Well, they cannot be the same, duh, right? Gen Xers, <laughs> latchkey kids, uh, most morally single children, smallest generation we have right now in America. Um, the boomers, I'm a, the last year of boomers and um, uh, another huge generation, 78 million. And then the silent generation, the people who were born in between, you know, right after the second world war and 1964. So, you know, uh, it's sort of convenient, but they do have um, some similarities, right? They have some cultural similarities um, that color um, and define how they, what the experience could have been from growing up. And they are different, absolutely different. And we have to, um, if we're gonna be working side by side with people of different generations, and I, it's increasingly more side by side than office by office, right? Uh, or yeah. virtually side by side, that right. we need to understand those negative things you might hold about different generations do not help you. And if you can break those down and actually appreciate the differences between the the generations and appreciate the difference between people and the gifts that each generation and each person brings, you have a much more effective business and frankly, more effective equals more profit and more and quicker. And there's no business that didn't do well if they were working high productively uh, at a fast pace um, in a positive way. And that's what I'm all about. Yeah. 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 I, I, it's always so funny for me because I am towards the, end of the baby boom era mm -hmm. and I uh, am raised millennials. They're, they're right. adults now, they're, you know, young adults, but mm -hmm. so, and whenever I'm, and everyone likes to complain about millennials and I think, yeah. okay, seriously, you're talking about my we, children. <laughs> we grew them. So I exactly. guess we have to blame ourselves for them. Right. And, well, and there really are really awesome things about them. That, so many positive things. I mean, so many positive right? things. And well, I do think, you know, it's true, right. Uh, in general, boomers are the m more parents of millennials or boomers than our uh, Gen Xers in general. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's not the millennials fault that um, we said nobody wins soccer 
it's not the millennials fault that <laughs> we gave them phones and iPads and technology when they were too young to handle it. It's exactly. not the millennials fault that, you know, we were dictating that they had to get better grades. So grade inflation has taken over the education system and has a negative impact. It's, it's not their fault at all. It's the parenting fault um, and culture as well, obviously. Right. And, yeah. and frankly, yeah. you know, the ones who complain most about millennials, um, I have found in my experience, are most likely to be the helicopter parents that are hurting their adult millennial children in the workplace. So <laughs> that could be a whole other conversation. We might need a cocktail for that one, Diane. Exactly. <laughs> but basically, if you see if you see a helicopter parent, you know, shoot them down. I'm just saying. Shoot them down. That's hysterical. I try. I don't, I don't know if they're listening to me, but I, I was not a helicopter parent, but half the time I had, I really did not know where my children were. Right. right. I, I mean, I knew they were safe. I, but my parents didn't know where I was when I was growing so up. So true. We didn't have, Be right. home by six. Okay. Seriously. You have to give me a watch because so I don't have you, a phone. <laughs> exa- well, right. <laughs> you need to learn how to tell time. Right. Yeah. So, no helmet when you ride a bike. Whatever. Oh my gosh. Right. Um, the fact they were alive. Oh, exactly. Okay. So I, cause I really could go down this road, but I'm not going to <laughs> now, but, but talk some about the old definitions of definitions of employee loyalty yeah. and what they're doing to businesses. Cause I think this is a really critical point. Yeah, I do too. So, you know, the old concept of employee loyalty is I get a job. That's a good one. The company's good. The company takes care of me and I, am loyal, meaning I do not leave the company. I am a soldier. I do my best job. I go as high as I can. And um, I don't go sell trade secrets across the road, right? <laughs> Basically, <Yeah>. that's important. <laughs> and then when I retire, I get a nice gold watch. You know, the number of right. gold watches that actually got given is very infinitesimal. However, um, the, and basically that all started changing uh, in the late 80s. Um, when shareholder value took precedence over uh, pure profit margin. And um, when people start, companies, particularly publicly traded companies, started laying people off for shareholder value over performance. And that's when we went really, um, when the trend towards quarter to quarter performance was more important than the trend towards sustainable performance over time. Um, And there's some obviously notable exceptions, but very few, frankly. So, um, and in today's world, what millennials get dinged on all the time is job hopping. They're not loyal. Right. I'm not going to spend any time training these people because they're going to leave and I have to start all yeah. over again. And I was hearing this in, I mean, I speak a lot about this topic. I do a lot of workshops for big companies, small companies, you know, associations. And everywhere I went, like, they're not loyal. And, and I said, why should they be? Why yeah. should millennials be loyal to companies when they have proven through, you know, it doesn't take very much to figure out that 8 million boomers lost their jobs in 20, uh, 2008, 2009. Uh, and right. 20 years of working did not save your job. Number one, right? And then they killed the pensions and then they killed right. all these things, right? So the, the promise, uh, the, the American dream promise of I work hard, I get taken care of was broken a long time ago, but really 2008 implosion of the economy was the last nail in the coffin. So millennials have grown up 
um, with their parents telling them, do not stay too long, do not get stale. You had 8 million people who couldn't find work, right? And the, uh, people who had been at companies for five, six, seven years, it's a little different if you're a public employee because 10 years longer in a public employee kind of place. We're like, oh, you, yeah. you're stale. Gosh, you don't know anything new. How could you possibly know anything new? The world has changed. So yeah. um, they've been told this, right? And they have their own uh, experience of this. One of the reasons we have such crushing um, millennial student debt is because these boomers who thought they'd be able to pay for their kids' uh, education in college could not after they lost so much yeah. money in 2008 implosion. So they uh, know not to stay in one job. They also believe they'll be working forever. Right. So, you know, boomers, I'm a, like I said, I'm a boomer, tail end, last year a boomer. And we all thought we'd be done at 50. I mean, this was prevalent thought. And, you know, 50 yep. came and went for me. I'm still working. Yeah. That beach is far away, even though I live in California. <laughs> and um, in terms of me staying out every day, right? And we're all working much longer than we thought we were going to, boomers. And, yeah. and a lot of this negativity comes from our dissatisfaction with that fact. Um, so today's employee loyalty is more about how do you help people be the most valuable while they're there? And then when they leave you, because they will, every time you hire someone, you know they're going to leave. So it should not be a surprise, right? Um, but when they <laughs> leave you, how do you help them be valuable to you once they're gone? Once they are out in the world and you're actually not paying them, because frankly, the definition of loyalty when someone is paying you is um, the wrong definition. That is a transaction. <laughs> you pay me, I do something for you. Loyalty is right. really expressed in the world when I do not have to do anything for you. But I'm out there in the world going, you know what? I just di met Diane. Oh my gosh, Lee, you need to meet Diane. She would be an awesome partner for you. Um, yeah. Or... Or you say, you put, put a posting into your, uh, you, you send your um, former employees a, po a job posting before you send it anywhere else. You go, I'm looking for a widget maker um, in the mid range, you know, hopefully it has this kind of experience. And your alumni go, I know exactly the guy. And they just do it and they introduce you. They just do it because they know your company. They have gratitude for the work that they did there. Um, and it was a good experience. And the more you can do that, right. frankly, you could be, wow. every time someone leaves you, they could help you or hurt you today. They could always do that, but really today, they could help you or hurt you. And every company, no matter what size, no matter what sector, needs to be doing everything it can to be increasing its footprint with its alumni in a positive way. And, um, and, and how people boomerang back, which is the name of my second book, you know, they might boomerang back as full employees. So my company is 15 years old. We have 35 people here today. We have rehired 14 people and we have rehired four people twice. So they were, each person wow. we rehired was more valuable the second time around than the first time. Why? Because they knew our culture already. They knew how we basically got things done. They went into the world that did something else, got a broader point of view and brought it back to the firm and were fully utilizable like within 30 days, not within six months. So this is the thought about how to have, think about loyalty for the life and not just for the duration of when I pay you, because technically that's not loyalty, that's a transaction. That's a very long answer. Sorry, Diane. <laughs> oh, hey, don't apologize. I think this, this is so great. It's a totally different mindset. Yeah. It's a way of looking at your company 
I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, right. And if you think your company is a great place to be, you're going to create it to be a great place to be. Understanding people aren't going to stay and that's okay, but they're going to refer people to you. They're going to put, you know, potentially come back, Mm -hmm. but everyone who has an encounter with it is going to have a good encounter no matter who they are. Yeah. You know, not everybody leaves boomerang eligible, right? But yeah, I think yeah. company, not everybody does because there's always something. But if you can sure. be in a position where 95% of your employees are leaving Boomerang eligible, meaning they could be rehired, oh my, you are so far ahead of the competition. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, and I think this year, 2018, the most important thing any company can do today is create a formal corporate alumni program that you manage that's not managed on LinkedIn by some rogue ex-employee, but that you manage um, and you uh, build over time because the more you keep the people who you thought were great and that you hired them before and they thought you were great and they came to work for you before close to you, the more powerful your business will be. And, and that, you know, so <laughs> when you said, some rogue ex-employee yeah. on LinkedIn. I think people don't realize that when someone has a bad experience and they leave, and if that leaving is a bad experience, yeah. they're going to talk about that. No matter what. And and it makes it, yeah, and it just makes it even harder to fill that yeah. pool uh, of, of talent. Ugh, yeah. I think that if you, don't, wow. if you don't have a boomerang concept, then you're working way too hard, hard to find new employees. I think way that, too hard. This way is really interesting. And yeah. we're all fighting for that top 25% of the talent. No matter what category yep. you're in, no matter what part of the country you're in, we all want that top 25% of talent. And on an up economy, on a down economy, the best, the best yeah. talent. And more and more and more, the best talent is going to have more and more options. You know, in our virtual world where you can work anywhere right. in the world and be connected, right. our best yeah. talent is going to have more and more choice about where they choose to work. Um, right. So I do think that there's a shift going on um, and we see it. We see it in big companies and small companies where the best talent gets to decide what they do. Right. Um, and the yeah. more you can be known as an employee, um, as a talent brand, a place where great talent goes, the better it is. And it is hubris yeah. for us to think as CEOs, as business leaders, that we could hold a person for their entire adult life, working life. Um, in particular, millennials believe they're going to have five, six, seven careers, not jobs, like right. not, like go from right. one PR firm to another, but actual career choices. Well, I have a yeah. company of 35 people. I can't hold everybody who wants to be a nurse, you know, right. <laughs> but I can help everybody who wants to be a nurse, have a great experience doing the, what we do for a living so that it's beneficial yeah. to them when they leave. And then hopefully if I need a nurse, they can help me, right? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, this whole concept of, um, of not training people because they might leave is absolutely uh, backwards. What we need to yeah. actually be doing is training people from the first moment they get there. And the actual inverse is true. The more, the more you help people be more valuable in your business, the longer they stay. The longer they stay, uh, frankly, the great people stay, the better it is for your business. Um, and conversely, the most loyal thing an employee can do is leave when they're no longer inspired by the work at hand. Oh, I love that. That is so true. 
You know, you just wow. have someone who's been good before and then they hit a, yeah. they hit their own bump and they don't get out of their yep. bump and they're like, eh, well, do you want them around? No, you don't. No. You don't. Right. So, right. and then really what's dangerous. your, you know, your opportunity as a boss, as a leader is to say, you know, you don't look happy. Yeah. There's something going on at home. It's something you just don't like this work anymore. Um, and then you figure it out, right? If it's something at home, well, how can we figure it out so you can actually sure. keep contributing, you know, because right. you need to contribute. But if, if there's not an opportunity, I want to be a podcaster. Well, we're a nerd. We're a hospital. We don't have a podcast, whatever it is, right? <laughs> well, let me help you go be a podcaster. Don't, you know, yeah. I don't want you here bringing everybody else down, but I will help you get that new place, you know? Exactly. Um, and then you've just created someone who's out in the world saying great things. Um, and, you know, positivity is so much less friction than negativity. And the more positive we can be, the better it is. And that positivity also goes back to intergenerational because it's not just millennials who want something better from their right. jobs and their lives. It's everybody. Right. And if you yep. create an environment where millennials thrive, you have created an environment where Gen Xers, boomers, Gen Z and, and silence can thrive as well. And Absolutely. Um, if we just break down that idea that they're entitled and whiners. Uh, that is not, you know, and, the millennials and, do not have the corner on whiners. Trust me. <laughs> at all. Or, or like, I'll hear people say, you know, they don't have a work ethic. They're lazy. I'm thinking, well, my son has an incredible work ethic and yeah. as does my daughter. And, and wait a minute. I know people my age who don't have a work ethic. Oh, please. So, oh my gosh. Have we all been seriously? around them? No, it is 4.59. Right. What the heck are you? We yeah. <laughs> you haven't finished. Standing at Get the least. Right, exactly. Right. Right. Oh Gotta gosh. go. It, it, it's uh, okay. So, and this is so fascinating for me because I think it, it, for me, it also speaks to leaders of companies. We need to get rid of this. It's us against them oh, mentality yeah. that I think a lot of companies have, you know, it's the, the employees think the leadership's up to no good and the leadership thinks the employees are just milking them. And how well, does piece, that move right? anybody forward? Well, it doesn't. Right. And in today's world, often the employees know more about your company than you do, <laughs> you know, ah, yeah. <laughs> you know, if they're on Glassdoor, if they've got a Twitter feed, if they're got a Google alert, you know, um, you know, yeah. and a present employee, probably, this is what I tell my own employees and it's a small company. We don't have a, you know, but if you're not following your company on Twitter, well, that's a mistake. You want yeah. everybody to know. So, you know, you may not actually know what your social media team is doing, but your employees who are present and are watching the blogs and watching Glassdoor and watching Twitter and looking competitively, they may know more than you do. Because <laughs> they're used to digging for stuff, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. And the impression of, think, you know, yeah. I think this technology, the technology that is such an advantage and a disadvantage too, right? But millennial, you know, the hierarchical structure is antithetical to the millennial experience. You know, they've had more power in their hands yeah. since they were 10 years old and then went to the moon, right? They've had the ability to at least um, have the impression that they could find any piece of information. They've had the ability to tweet at anybody, tweet at any company, find somebody's email, uh, send a YouTube, you know, message to people. There, you know, this idea that yeah. there is a structure in the world is, you know, you can't have access. Well, that's all gone, right? Um, yeah. The conflict happens when you get into a hierarchical situation and you're like, why is this junior Birdman want to have lunch with the CEO who's 30, you know, 35 years older than him and doesn't 
care who the new yeah. mailman is, right? And the mailman's going, hey, of course he wants to know I'm part of this company. You know, <laughs> it's a whole, you know, <laughs> when you have a flat earth, a flat earth person and a hierarchical earth person, you have to find a, a middle ground there, in the, you know. That's a great one. That, that's, I, I'm thinking about people who are, who have complained to me, people who are in leadership who have complained to me and said, you know, that they're these unique little snowflakes and they yeah. want to be treated. And I'm thinking, no, they're not. And frankly, you got to meet them halfway. You have to respect yeah. them as humans. And, you know, so, so they text. So what? Right. If well, there are times when you need right? them not to. Right. I mean, when we came into, when I came into the workplace, Diane, I used to write memos. I mean, when's the last time you wrote a memo? you know, yeah. and communication, <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me, has changed so much, right? You know, when I yeah, came into the workplace, right. we had rotary phone. Uh, so I came into the workplace in 1987, 19, um, 1987. Yeah, 1987 is when I came into the workplace. 1988 is when the push button phone surpassed the rotary phone in the United States. Okay. <laughs> it, really? Really. Oh, the fax okay. machine didn't oh. really, ex you know, I, I mean, seriously, I had a fax machine that had the rolly paper with the red ink on yeah. the end. You know those? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then it really wasn't until um, the end of 2000, text messaging, AOL messenger, um, Yahoo messenger, you know, all these things. And now today, how many communication vehicles do we have? Today, we're right now, we're on Zoom. We have Skype. I have email, yeah. Instagram, Twitter, text. I use Slack, Asana, and Trello. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so complicated. Well, the problem is not that millennials communicate in different ways. The problem is that we have not figured out how to communicate that with them on their native platforms. Um, Amen. And, you know, and the biggest problem that boomers have, so if you're a boomer, so this year it's 54 to 69, and you're going to have to keep working because 80% of boomers are going to work past 70. Right. You better know Trello. You better know Asana. You better know what Slack yeah. is. You know, yeah. um, the, you have to be relevant. Um, and relevance is not just uh, subject matter knowledge. Relevance is communication platform um, agnostic um, and being able to sort of uh, swim in the fishes there, you know. And often, yeah. you know, my New York office is in a WeWork space, right? Which I really like the WeWork idea. You know, you're co-locating, you have a lot of companies, yeah. you know, it's, it's a bit of a, um, I actually blogged on this the other day, but it's a fishbowl, right? They're all glass windows between or walls yeah. so that you can reconfigure all the time. So on the, on the floor that we're on the other day, my, the GM of my um, New York office slacks me. She goes, I just heard the guy two down, two, two offices down say, yeah, I, I interviewed this lady earlier today. She knew so much. She really, you know, she had a lot of great experience, but she was a dinosaur, <laughs> right? Well, that's the millennial we want to shoot, yeah. right? But who knows if she was just giving him a memo you know, you don't know, yeah, right? Right, right? Did he say, right. you know, I was so offended when I heard this. I'm like, you went down and gave him the finger, right? No, I didn't leave. Well, I <laughs> but, 
But you also don't know, did she not know how to use Instagram? Did she not have a Twitter right. feed? Did she, was she not right. on LinkedIn? You don't know those things, right? But, and all those things yeah. matter. I think the, the how, you, how a younger person calls an older person a dinosaur, we need to make sure that it's relevant dinosaur, right? If I'm going to be a dinosaur, right. I'm going to be a hip. <laughs> <laughs> I have no problem being a dinosaur, but I'm the one that still survived. You know what I mean? What, like the crocodile or something. Exactly. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, I've had employees who are older and who's like, I just don't want to learn that Lee. I'm like, and I, I can't have those people in my company because right. we're a communications firm. And we have to help our clients <laughs> communicate, right? In any way they need to. Yeah. Well, right. if you're not going to learn Snapchat and yeah. you're not going to be versant, then you're gonna have, I'm going to have to help you find another job. Exactly. Because business and is business. Okay. And that is okay. Because they wouldn't really be happy. I mean, that's yeah. going to be really, really stressful for them as well. Of course. So it, you know, I worry yeah. about them being able to find the work that they like because the world is changing yeah. so much. Yeah, um, but if if I give opportunity, you know, I think our business, a business leader's job, is to help keep the company relevant, and to help keep our employ and to keep our employees relevant, right? Right. Um, right. If our employees don't want to be current, that's not on. And but there's opportunity to be current. Yeah. That's not on right. us. Right. Right. Um, yep. But you know, and that's a whole other yeah. conversation we could have. Yes, it is. <laughs> And I got to take a quick sponsor break. So hang on a second. All right. We'll, we'll continue this. Okay. So uh, Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. If you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and The Boomerang Principle by Lee Carraher. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today, we are talking with Lee Carraher about leading the next generation workplace. And hopefully you guys are really paying attention to this because this is critically important. I feel like we're at a real turning point in our economy right now with all of these generations that, you know, what we were just talking about was the, you know, these quote dinosaurs, like people my age and older, um, not wanting to be curious enough to learn about the way things really are these days. And it's not like these things are going away. They're only mm -hmm. becoming greater. Mm -hmm. So true. Well, we also wow. talk about, you know, it's so interesting is that, uh, and I, we talk about generational conflict and, you know, uh, modernization as, as though it's something new. <laughs> And, yeah. you know, you mentioned I have a degree in medieval history and, um, you know, I can tell you that degree, medieval history is a study of a thousand years of history, which is just intergenerational conflict all over the world. <laughs> so it is not new. Uh, it's been going on since Adam and E, well, I guess Cain and Abel. And uh, okay. so, you know, it's not new at all. Um, what it is, um, though, is that technology has really sharpened the division 
among the generations. Um, you know, if you're digital native, you grew up with it versus digital adaptive. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're not as nimble with your fingers as you used to be, and you're next to someone who didn't ever learn how to type, they learned how to type in fifth grade in, uh, when they were five, you know? Yeah. Um, on yeah. a keyboard, not a typewriter the way that had, you know, QWERTY. <laughs> a what? <laughs> exactly. Well, you remember, you know, QWERTY, the QWERTY keyboard was created hey, because, <laughs> oh, right, but it was, it's stupid, but it was created, it had nothing to, do, you know, they would never have created it for today because it was yeah. created so that um, there was enough time between when each key struck the paper that it wouldn't get jammed. Um, and the person, I can't remember the name of the person who created the QWERTY um, keyboard layout, but they did all this math on when, where you should put um, different keys so that wow. they wouldn't get stuck together. Well, of course today they would never, doesn't matter. Yeah, so you, would, right. yeah, right. you know, and there are keyboards that are not QWERTY that are much faster than QWERTY. I mean, so, uh, but you have to relearn everything. Oh my gosh, can't even imagine that. Yeah, that seems it. like, yeah. so, <laughs> that, I don't know that that is relevant, but it is, we, we're living with this dinosaur idea in this QWERTY yeah. keyboard that we all use. Anyhow, yeah. um, I'm just full of information today. Am I not, Diane? You I mean, are. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Irrelevant information, proving irrelevant, oh, left and right. <laughs> oh my gosh! But you know, if you if you feel like you oh, Snapchat or oh, I don't understand. And I tell you, I use Snapchat because my kids on Snapchat. I love right. Snapchat was made for me with those filters, man, making myself look like a dog or you know <laughs> cat. I love it. And my my son's like, mom, it's not for you. I'm like, it is. They made it just for it me is now because right? I love it, right? <laughs> But, you know, you don't have to know everything, but you have to be willing. No. You have to be willing. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, yeah. and if you're working, unless you have the benefit of being um, independently wealthy and not having to work, you need right. to be understanding how your people are communicating. Because Absolutely. if they're having conversations around you that you can't even get into the stream yeah. of, yeah. Your, your days are numbered. Yeah. Yeah. It's dangerous. It is. It's dangerous. Yeah. Okay. So what are, when we talk about productivity, because mm -hmm. productivity leads to profitability and, and mm -hmm. all of those things, what, give us a couple of things that these business owners can be doing to improve the productivity given mm -hmm these, you know, this variety of yeah. generations and the way they see things. <clears throat> right. So I think there's two pieces on productivity that I can focus on that I, that I can give you antidotes for, meaning um, things you can do differently that would hopefully improve that. So one is driving context into your business. And when I started my company, my husband, who is my biggest champion, gave me this little silver bar thing for my desk, tchotchka for my desk, right? And it said, because I said so. And I thanked him and I put it in my drawer because it doesn't work that way anymore, right? No, Last time I said, doesn't. just do it because I said so. Uh, yeah, there was mutiny on the bounty. Yeah. So, and it's a, yeah, just please do what I say, right? But uh, it doesn't work that way anymore. And unless you're in a command and control situation, which very few of us are, you know, command and control uh, situations are, you know, the, the fire is uh, burning down the house and someone has to tell right. you where to put the water. I mean, that's 
really yeah. very few of us um, but you really need to drive context into your business so what does that mean that means before you start a project you are sitting everybody in the team down and saying here's the here's the goal reminder here's the goal of the company here's the goal of our team our project will help the team achieve x and the team will help the company achieve y and um here's you know oh. it's going to take us this much time and these are the things here are the partners and just really going you know giving the whole lay of the land on what is the project and then going to the next level so how is the team divided all right, so we have a team of 12. So Lee, what your, you know, your job as the senior art director, whatever, is to make sure that everything has its own look and feel and that um, the partner who's outside the company is fully on board and, you know, whatever it is, and explain everybody's role around the table to each other so that not only do we understand what the project's for and why we're doing it and what the time frame is and all that kind of stuff and who the partners are that we need to know we also understand explicitly whose role who has what role and how my participation will impact everybody and often we sit there no one's going to care if i did this right or not eh, it doesn't really matter really because we don't understand that someone else is counting on me to do my job um, yeah. and if we can do this at the beginning of, you could do it on the beginning of the day. Sometimes you have, need to do that as, if you're on a sprint towards an end, you know, here's what today is going to look like, everybody. We need to adjust. Or you could do it at the beginning of a six-month project and at, a, at, a, at milestones and all that kind of stuff. This cuts down so much unproductive time of, eh, I don't need to do that. Eh, what am I doing this for again? Eh, you know, when is this due again? You know, because the... Um, I know who I am on this team. I know that my role is important, that someone else is counting on me, and that together we're going to achieve something that will make a difference for the company. This changes every dynamic, uh, every bad dynamic in a business. It really does. No so driving, kidding. It really does. Uh, and particularly for millennials who have been used to getting lots of input, right? Yeah. And able to check in, mm -hmm. check in, check in, check in, which drives mm -hmm. boomers nutty. It actually yeah. drives Gen Xers <laughs> even nuttier. You know, being able to set context to say, here's what you're here's what we're doing, here's what your here's what your role is, and then being able to say the check-ins are at this time, this time, and this time. If you need help, go here. And so that it's no one's no one has an excuse to stop, right? Um, right. it changes the you you lose you're driving out unproductive time of questioning. Um, and the more less questioning you have among people and teams, the more productive you are. So that's the first thing I could possibly say to you wow. about every company, if you can drive context, and this is not a millennial thing, although they require it. Who doesn't want to know what you're doing? Who doesn't want to know what everyone else is doing? Who doesn't want to know no, that my work matters? Right? Everyone, yeah. No one gets paid to do work that doesn't matter. I mean, there, I don't know a business who's like, you know, like I, got, right. I got some money sitting around. I'm going to employ someone. It yeah. doesn't matter. <laughs> no one does that. But we don't always understand how much our work matters to everybody else. Right. So that's the first thing. The second thing wow. that every business can do better, and this is just human nature, is resolve conflict better and faster. And, um, con you know, and I think one of the things that... Um, particularly women get ding done, you know, so much emotion, don't bring your emotion to the workplace, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And that is crap because we are human beings. And of course work is emotional, duh, right? But you know, 
you know, don't bring it to the workplace. You park your, you know, park your emotions at the door. Well, right. that just breeds, um, frankly, resentment and inefficiency because we all, we all grind on something, right? Why did he do that? Absolutely. Why yeah. didn't, I mean, why did she send me that draft that had all these typos in it? You know, she said she was going to be here at nine o'clock and she's not. What the hell? Yeah. And these little things add up to hours and hours and hours of unproductivity. So um, how do we, you know, how do we um, actually take advantage of our feelings to resolve conflict positively? And um, I have a resource and I can, I'll send you the link, uh, Diane, so you have it. Okay. People can download this. It's called the, the communication wheel. And basically, um, I don't have to use the wheel anymore because I've gotten good at it. But you have to practice, you, you know, resolving conflict um, to get good at it because we don't do it well in general as human beings, right? Right. Because <laughs> I might be right. mad at you and go and start with, I am so mad at you, Diane, blah, blah, blah. And where can, that, where can you go? Nowhere. You can't go anywhere with them. Like, what the hell did I do? Right. Instead of, <clears throat> instead of Diane, um, I really, you know, I, I Diane, um, before the end of the week, uh, I would like, you know, just 15, 20 minutes of your time. I, we have an issue. I really want to get resolved. I know we can get it resolved, but um, I want to make sure we're all on the same page and, um, can you find 20 minutes between now and the end of the week? And Diane, you know, something's funky. We got to do something. We got to resolve some issue. Um, yeah. and, and you can get ready for it. It could be on your time schedule, right? Oh yeah. I, Lee, um, how about Thursday at noon? I have some time or Friday at nine and I get to choose which time and you know, we set the time, but you at least are not caught off guard by the fact that I need to talk to you and that there's something I, I know yeah. I, I'm, you know, I want to talk to you about something. Well, obviously it's either uh, a, a conflict to resolve or an opportunity or something like that, right? But you're not caught off guard. Then um, when we meet, right? We're like, um, I want to bring this to your attention because um, I really feel like uh, we are not on the same page. Diane, um, you said, uh, you know, our hours are from nine to five. No one's hours are nine to five. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> you, you know, our hours are nine to five, and you keep showing up between nine forty-five and ten fifteen. That's a fact, <laughs> right? The fact is, you keep showing up nine forty-five to ten fifteen, yeah. and the fact is, our hours are nine to five. Uh, my assessment of that is, you don't care. You don't care about anybody else. You don't care that you're so. You know, you're so. You don't care that everyone else has to like adjust to your schedule. And you don't really have any respect for anybody around you because we've all been here for 45 to an hour and 15 minutes and been working and you come in and you throw your bag down and it's like, well, what did I miss? You know? Um, and it really makes me mad. I'm really angry. It's a grant. It's grinding on me. Like, what is that about? Um, my request is that you show up on time. And if you're not going to be on time that you let me know if I'm the boss or you let us know that you're right. not going to be on time. So we're not sitting here worrying if you're dead in the street. Yeah. And my offer to you is to help you um, put reminders into your calendar so that you know when to show up or something. You know, so you go around this communication wheel that says starts with a fact that is incontrovertible. Um, you know, you're late actually is not a fact. You're late is a an assessment of a fact, right? The fact is you get yeah, show up at 945. Yeah. The fact is we start yeah. late, whatever it is. Yeah. My assessment is right. that you're lazy. Or you might say that those are lazies, right? And my anger is like, I'm so mad at you. Well, if you start there, you have nowhere to go, right? So you start right. with something that's factual. 
And usually 80% of the time I have found, oh my God, I had no idea that our hours were night. I thought I could come in any time. No one ever told me nine to five. What are you talking? Yeah. If this is the first time we've talked about it, right? And oh yeah. my gosh, I had no, oh, I'm so, I'm mortified. I am so mortified. I had no idea you felt this about me. Oh my gosh. How can I make it up to you? I have total respect for you, Diane. Oh my gosh. I'm just trying to catch up because I just, I had no idea you've been here for an hour and a half already. I had no clue. I thought you got in right five minutes before me, you know, and when you actually can peel the onion on these things and do yeah. it on the, and it sounds like a really little thing, like you're late. No, l being late, not showing up on time is disrespectful and right. people take it personally. Um, yeah. And you have to, how do you find ways to resolve that conflict that is obviously wasting time? You're grinding on it and no one does their best work when they're grinding ever. Ever, 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 ever. So the more we can get good at resolving conflict, big and small, fastest, not waiting for it, you know, don't let someone be wrong for six months and finally just tell them right. they've been an hour and a half right. late for the last six months. Yeah. This is so embarrassing. Like, you're not my partner if you let me be late, if you let me be wrong for six months. Right. You know, I'm so embarrassed. Oh my God, everyone's been talking about it for six months. I'm going to go. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot in that, right? So um, how you can yeah. respectfully resolve conflict that is an offer and a request because it's not just on them. Uh, and you're in relationship with someone as soon as you're working with somebody. Um, and do it uh. early and off, you know, and sort of get good at it. Um, so it's normal. Um, the more productive you could be and the more positive your workplace will be. The more positive, the more productive. Um, productivity uh, never comes out of a productivity never comes out of a caustic workplace. You may be achieving your goals, but you're right. leaving a lot of money on the table. Right. That's if, right. if it's a toxic, caustic environment. Yeah. Right. And I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, okay, I know that I know a lot of small business owners and I know a lot of people are listening to this and they're thinking, yeah, I, I hear it. And it, th this whole resolving conflict makes me totally conflict itself makes me totally uncomfortable. Yeah. But I think what you're saying is if your focus and your goal is to be as productive an organization as possible and as profitable an organization as possible, then you are going to do the things that are necessary to make sure that happens. So yeah. that if conflict occurs, you're going to want to nip it in the bud right away so it doesn't bloom into something bigger and so that it doesn't interfere with the profitability. You just have to look at it that way. I don't think yeah. people do. I don't think they realize that connection. I think you have, I think productivity, you know, finding good processes that are streamlined and effective and super important. But if you don't yeah. have a positive working environment, you are losing yep. money. You may not be. Well, and that's what I like about. You may not be yeah, in the red, right? But right. you're you're right. your money. You're taking money off the table, and absolutely. Um, you know what? Other things are taking money off our table enough. <laughs> we don't have to be doing it ourselves. Exactly. Right. And I it's think like that shooting yourself in the foot. It is, and we're not good at it. No one teaches us. You know, in kindergarten, we you know, yeah. go to the rose table. You know, but no one does that yeah. when you're a senior in high school or senior in college. <laughs> and um, it is something that you have. I mean, I know for me. Personally, I had to learn how to do this. I had to practice yeah. and I felt so yeah. dumb here. I'd been in business for so long. I started my own company. I started before this, I started another company for a bigger entity and been in leadership for so long. And I, 
I was not good at this. And when I became practiced it and you know, it's a muscle memory, it's muscle memory. You have to get good at it. And as leaders, as business owners, it is up to us, everybody who works for us, two things, they choose to work for us. They're choosing to follow you. And they, your job is to model the behavior that uh, you, you want. They, people look to leaders to say, how should, I, how should I act in a conflict? How should I act in a crisis? Right. How should I act when something's going on in the world? Um, so there's like this whole Me Too um, wave, right? Like yeah. how should I yeah. act when this happens in the world? Well, leaders, no matter how small the, the, people, the group you're leading, um, your people are looking to you to, yep. to show them how to act. And one of the most important things you can do for your business and for your life, frankly, is learning how to resolve conflict respectfully and quickly. And this tool that um, I've adopted from, uh, I had an executive coach a few years back and she helped me develop this on some of the work that she was doing. Um, so I totally credit her, Lori Ogdemore. Um, uh, has been super effective, not only in my business, but actually in my home life and in the partnerships that I use. Um, you know, the partners that I have around in different, um, you know, we do, my company has many different partners. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I do this, you do that, but there's a hole in the middle. <laughs> like, no, no, no. And, yeah. and me being able to have a conflict resolution conversation with a, a president or the CEO of a partner firm so we can get together fastest, plus that context building at the beginning so that there's no like you've laid out the facts right so there shouldn't be any nine to five or our hours why didn't you know that right well you never said it's nowhere it's not written anywhere it's not in oh my gosh of course it isn't duh you know those two things together context and conflict resolution will drive productivity positivity and profit into your business absolutely uh, it is so great. And, and that whole content, I, I find it amazing how many businesses don't want to take the time to have the conversations that would save them so much time. Yeah. Right. They, sort they, of like they those, just, uh, you know, when someone goes, oh, just be faster. I do it myself. All yeah. you're doing is <laughs> creating a bottleneck. You're not, yeah. you're not creating any efficiency. You're not creating, you're making yourself the most important person in the room, which leaders yeah. should never be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Wow. Okay. Um, you, I, I have to know the answer to this. You used to take prospective employees out to dinner and you stopped doing it. Yes, I Why? did. So Why? I used to take, well, as prospective employees, because I would be the last person someone would um, go through to get hired here, right? And we entertain yeah. a lot and it was a way to see how people conducted themselves and were they comfortable in their own skin and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and I guess within a month, like a, you know, 30, 45 day period, I took two people out to dinner in their interview process and we decided not to hire them because they could not eat. And I don't mean they couldn't put food in their mouths. Of course they could, but they were like, so it was just so terrible. I mean, and it sounds so judgmental, right? I understand that it sounds so judgmental, but business is judgment, right? And, um, yeah. you know, one person didn't put the, you know, one person slurped their soup and didn't put their napkin in their lap and answered the phone at the table and um, picked their teeth. And the other person um, <laughs> put her lipstick on at the table, um, 
didn't really know how to push your food around the plate, um, had three glasses of wine and, um, <laughs> you know, slung her bag on the floor. So the, the waiter tripped over it and yeah. I did not hire them. I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. And I, you know, later on, six months later, I kicked myself in the butt. I was like, Oh my God, how stupid was that? Yeah. I can teach people how to eat. I cannot <laughs> teach people to have curiosity and to be nice people and yeah. to be team players. I can absolutely teach people to eat. And I had the benefit when I was growing up of cotillion, where I learned how to cut butter yeah. with a banana, but they don't teach it anymore. Now. Right? And um, in the, our big cities that are really melting pots, not just for our country, but for the world, you know, what's rude in one yeah. culture is not in the other. So right. I decided not to worry about that anymore. Huh. Save myself some money, not take people out for dinner. And then when people get here, we, um, we teach them what we want them to know about the manners that matter for our workplace. And it's not just eating, um, but eating matters. But it's also, you know, how do you be, you know, what's rude in a, in a common workspace? What, um, how do you be a respectful? Because uh, manners are all be, about respect, right? How do you right. be a respectful colleague in conference calls in all this kind of stuff? So we teach people all that stuff. Um, there isn't anybody on the planet, I don't think, who would not benefit from reading um, uh, The Advantage of Business Etiquette. But it's a $50 book that's like a, a doorstop that no one cracks open. So, <laughs> which I did. I bought it for everybody and literally everyone put it under their desk. So, um, <laughs> It's a great book. So instead, what I did was I created this box of, uh, sort of looks like table topics. It's called Everything Speaks. And each card, which is sort of uh, maybe three and a half by three and a half, four by four, um, is a different manner that matters in the workplace. And we teach people these things and it sits on people's desks so they can refer to it easily and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we teach them all because, um, you know, how you, far you get in business has a lot to do with how people feel respected. Not all of us can wear yeah. hoodies to work like Mark Zuckerberg, you know? Yeah, right, right. Exactly. And Mark Zuckerberg wow, and Steve really Jobs great. and Mike and, you know, and, and um, Bill Gates, they're the exception to the rule. The rest of us, 300 million of us really need to get along yeah. with everybody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I exactly. do understand it does sound very judgmental, but you know, you never know who's watching you. You never know when the black ball is being put into the, into the bin for you because you picked your teeth at the table and you know, there are people uh, exactly. around you. Sure. But you're right. Everyone does. You, you develop beliefs about people based on mm -hmm. their behaviors Absolutely. because you don't really have anything else to go on at, at yeah. first blush. So everything yeah, speaks about you, uh, how you dress, yes. how you show up. Do you stand when you greet somebody? You know, women, yeah. I think, were put at a disadvantage often in business because they were told you don't have to stand when you meet somebody. Yeah. And um, this is weak. This is really weak. Everybody stands yeah. when they meet someone for the first time. Um, yeah. Everybody stands, you know. And, um, you know, this, those kinds of things. So um, I do everything I can to help people understand what could be getting in their way in their career based on the behaviors and manners that they may just, they're not ignorant, they're just uninformed. Well, and, and one of the things that I so like about this is that it, it really speaks to everything we've been talking about, which is cre helping people be the best they can be mm -hmm. when they're working with you right? so that 
went right. I mean, it's just whether they stay or go, that's not what matters. It's building them up and helping them be a contributor. Exactly. And the more you can do that, the more you can do that, help people be the best they can be, help people, um, under, and really manners are sort of a common, common, uh, language in a team, right? How teams work together, the shortcuts, everybody knows all that kind of stuff. Well, the more you can do that, the more you can help people be the most productive possible. Um, the more loyal they'll be when they leave you because they're going to leave you. Right. But maybe they right. stay a little, if you keep somebody in your company an extra year, you've saved yourself a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Just on lost productivity and recruiting fees. Right. So yeah. if you keep someone one extra year that they didn't think they were going to be there, um, you win and it pays off. Exactly. It just takes right. a while for you to see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's why we're talking about it because yeah. you know, right. If we can just get well, even a couple. Exactly. Well, I wrote my first book. So um, like you said, my first book, Millennials and Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work, was out of my experience of abject failure. Seriously, we hired six millennials within eight weeks of each other, and they were all gone in three months. And wow. I have never had 100% failure in recruiting and retention in my career. And uh, like one person could have been their fault. I could have made one bad hire, but I couldn't have made yeah. six bad hires. We have great yeah. process. It had to be us. It had to be us, um, uh, which is embarrassing to admit, right? It's like, sure. Ugh, I've been doing this a long time and wrong. But I think it was, uh, and then that's when I started understanding. I didn't even know what a millennial was, Diane. I was like, what the hell just happened? So I go yeah. on, you know, and everything I read was so negative. Uh, I, was, I can't be negative <laughs> about the people who are going to make sure that I have a future in my business. And I started, um, I did my own research because I couldn't, I didn't go set out to write a book. I set out to figure out the thing for my business. And, um, and I learned all that stuff in, in interviewing literally hundreds of people in different positions and different age groups and different mm. managers and employees and leaders and not, and um, going back to the basics of respect and, you know, how people are, how people work best together. And it's really, you know, work is yeah. a team sport, team sport. Yeah. And what coaches are great at is, is explaining what you need to do to catch the ball. So. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Putting the team together. Yeah. Scott, this was so great. I think I could probably talk to you forever, but I can't <laughs> right now. <laughs> I can always have you back. I would love really to come awesome. back. Oh, it would be good, awesome. Good, to come good. Back. Well, Terrific. We'll, we'll figure that out. So, but in the meantime, first of all, thank you so much for sharing this information. It, it's incredibly valuable. Um, and will you tell my listeners how they can find you, how they can get your books, all that happy stuff? Sure. Um, the best place to go is leecaraher.com, L-E-E-C-A-R-A-H-E-R.com. You can find my books, uh, Millennials and Management and the Boomerang Principle there. They're also on Amazon, on Audible, on um, uh, at independent stores around the country and on Barnes and Noble. Um, and then you can find my blog, which I blog about this stuff all the time off of Lee Carher and my agency, Double Forte. Um, you can also get there from LeeCarraher.com. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Lee Carraher, um, and on um, Facebook as well at Lee Carraher one Very easy to find. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Awesome. Right. It's all about the communication. So that's so great. And, and I always like to thank the listeners because if it weren't for them, we probably wouldn't be doing this thing as well <laughs> as our sponsor. Um, go to 
audibletrial.com slash business growth to sign up for a free trial and get a free audio book. And hey, while you're there doing that, you should get Lee's book as, as the book. Yes. Um, get my book and I could talk to you because right? I actually recorded it myself. So yes. Yeah, which I love. I know. I can't, <laughs> I gotta listen to it. I can't wait. So um, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast, goodbye and good day. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.